Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. This is Stacy Lindis from the Podcast PD Podcast, and you're about to have your mind filled with googly awesomeness. When you're done, stop by podcastpd.com for more anytime, anywhere professional development on the go. Welcome to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest news on Google for education, tips, tricks, and teaching ideas you can use in class tomorrow. And here are your hosts, Matt Miller from DitchThatTextbook.com and Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com. Oh my goodness, Tribe, I got to share something with you. So just recently, like last week, I was out in California working with a school district and my California geography is not the best. So I didn't realize until after I was already there that I was in San Jose, which happened to be like at the heart of, to some extent anyway, at the heart of Silicon Valley. After I finished up with my presentation, I had a couple of hours to kill and I realized, oh my goodness, I am 15 minutes away from the Google headquarters in Mountain View, California. Now, Casey, have you ever been to the Googleplex? I have. I have. Yeah. You, everybody should uh, should make the trek to to visit the the home the mothership <laughs> yeah exactly the mothership there's a, a podcast i listen to where the host calls it the borg <laughs> she says the googleplex is the borg so anyway so i made my track over there i didn't know any googlers so i couldn't get in any like any of the buildings or anything but yeah i walked around and got to see some of the cool sites and of course i hit up the merchandise store and bought way too much stuff but um it was a fun little hour long excursion. And I was thinking the whole time, I was like, oh, A, I have to share this with the tribe. And B, we talked on the tribe about, and on the Twitter hashtag, about this joke about me and Casey camping out on the Google lawn and roasting marshmallows. And so I thought while I was there, I need to try to sort of recreate that. So it didn't turn out to be a fantastic picture, but I took a picture of myself sitting down on the lawn in front of one of the buildings. And I was like, OK, here's the closest I could get just by myself. So so if you want to go check that out, I've got a couple of pictures put up on the uh, the show notes, which, of course, is at googleteachertribe.com slash 30. Well, and of course, you got the quintessential uh, selfie in front of the, the Googleplex and all of the little... Yep. Um, Android uh, statues <laughs> that are floating around, and so uh-huh. you know, he said he forgot the marshmallows. Well, there is Android marshmallows. So oh, that's true. If that's you want to, and it's in one of your pictures too. It so. is. 
So yeah. yeah, we you know we can pretend that we had s'mores and that we actually have been there at the same time. <laughs> I'm sure Jeremy will put together something fabulous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's Jeremy Badner from Michigan who put the, the made the first picture that that led to all of this. So yeah, fun, quick little trip, and I I thought I had to share that with you guys. So so anyway, uh, not no fancy segue here. I think we maybe ought to start with this episode, Casey. What do we got inside today's episode? We are up at episode 30. So we're hitting another milestone here. All right. So we've got um, some Google news and updates, of course. And there were a lot of little updates to share this time. And then, of course... Our featured content today, we're going to focus on the Hour of Code and just giving you some resources to support that. Google has a ton of resources, and we're also going to reach beyond Google a little bit today and talk about ways that you can bring coding into the classroom. Of course, we've got some fabulous questions and feedback from our listeners and a few things to share from the blogosphere. So you ready to get started? Yes. Off to the Google Teacher Tribeplex we go. (laughs) Let's go. All right. To start our news and updates this time, there is an update to docs and slides that relates to languages. So in the past, our languages have been kind of, um, kind of limited, but now we're able to. Uh, Google Docs and Slides now support 62 languages, and you've actually got some non-Latin scripts like like Cyrillic, and um, so there's some of these other ones. And you'll find a drop-down menu in the fonts. So if you go to More Fonts, and it says Scripts, and now you've got all these other things like Arabic and and some other things like that. So you're able to choose your font and actually match it to those those other languages. So, and then they said that they're making templates available in four languages, uh, which includes European, Spanish, Latin American, Spanish, French, and Brazilian Portuguese. And Hindi apparently is coming soon. So so if you're looking for more use in different languages, then Google's got your back. Muy bueno. Muy bueno. Oh, that was good, Casey. <laughs> Fantastico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's about the uh, the extent of my Spanish. So, yeah. all right, moving on. So inside uh, Google Docs, Sheets, and Slides, we also got another little update. You can now copy the comments and suggestions over when you make a copy. So, um, of course, one of my favorite little features is file make a copy when I'm working on things, maybe making other versions of things. And so if you want to keep those comments and, um, you know, because sometimes that collaboration can still be very useful in whatever else you're extending it over to in the copy you can now see a, a couple of extra checkboxes when you get your little pop-up to make a copy that will allow you to share it with the same people and copy the comments and suggestions over. So thank you, Google. Nice little feature. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one I wanted to share has to do with Google Sites. And I know we've been, even on this show, grumbling about the embed features of Google Sites and how limited they are. The old version of Google Sites had much more robust embedding features. Well, I stumbled upon a blog post that was written by Brad Dale. Brad laid out a way that you can actually embed your Twitter feed directly into the new Google Sites. There, there's a couple of places where you grab some script and he's got a pretty easy to follow tutorial video. So you grab the script 
and he walks you through the steps and you're able to stick your tweets from your Twitter account onto a Google site. So if that's something that you've been dying to do, then there's a link to that over in the show notes that you might want to check out. I love that. Um, that's that's a great little tip there. Everybody's dying to be able to do some of the right. things that we can do in the old sites. So yeah, got to love your embedding. Yep. Oh, yeah. Love my embed code. So we also have an update that's caused a little bit of controversy, right? Everybody's right. used to this. But uh, yeah. when, when yep. something new happens, suddenly sometimes we lose something that was near and dear to our heart as it happened with Google Sites. Inside docs, slides, and drawings now, you can insert images a little bit differently. And I don't actually see this yet in any of my versions. Yeah, I don't either. But I know some people are because they're already tweeting about it. But when you go to insert, instead of getting the insert image pop-up window with all of the various options there – all of those options are now built into the menu under insert. Um, so so that's coming. Now, one of the things that people are complaining about is they lost the like selfie button, essentially. Right. And um, But a lot of teachers would have students hold up their work and take a picture of it as well. Um, so it's not really just a selfie button, but a lot of people are missing that. However, we did find a tweet from Google that says they are working to work that in. So I think they're hearing our cries um, that we didn't want to lose that feature. But again, I don't even see this yet. So um, I'm hoping by the time it shows up, maybe we'll have it, but uh, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for too. So switching gears a little bit to Google Assistant and Google Home. I know some teachers are seeing this and they're starting to wonder, you know, sort of what's the potential in the classroom. And as uh, Google Home and the Google Assistant start to be able to do more and more things, it's easier to make those connections. And I stumbled upon this article from Android Authority that talks about these, it's called Four Creative Experiments Showcase the Potential of Google Assistant. And in the past... You know, we've had all of these other kinds of experiments. So we've got AI experiments, Android experiments, Chrome experiments, and now they have this thing called voice experiments. And so this is where, you know, people code these cool things that you can do in this case with voice. And so there's one that's called MixLab. And it says that um, they have this, you know, real musicians playing real instruments and we've got this music and then you can make changes to it. So the example they give is they say, play me a funky bass. And then it says, slow it way down. So now you're like a DJ and you're able to kind of like mix music on the fly, which is kind of cool. Um, there's another one that reminds me a lot of mystery Skype because, you know, mystery Skype is where you get two classes together and they ask each other yes and no questions to guess where they are. And a version of that is called the mystery animal Skype. And now you're able to actually play a version of that game with your assistant. And it's a game called Mystery Animal, which is basically like 20 questions. And so they pick an animal and then you ask it a million different questions like, do you have feathers? Are you an insect? And you're trying within 20 questions to be able to guess it. And then there's a third one that I'll mention also that is almost like a choose your own adventure story type of thing where it's this thing called Story Speaker where you create scenarios on a Google Doc and then it's read out loud by Google Home. And so it's, yeah, it's it basically turns into what's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure type story. So there's some really neat ones there. If you want to check all those out, we've got a link in the show notes. That is so cool. And I think that really shows the potential of what AI is going to bring to the classroom. Yeah. You know, I think I think we're still sort of on the, the edge, on the cusp of really 
breaking into what these devices could bring because they're so geared towards personal use at the moment. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but that's that's super exciting. Uh, but you know what? Um, don't you play the bass? Can you play funky yeah. bass? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I've played acoustic <laughs> guitar for a while. I just started to pick the bass up for the last couple of weeks. So funky bass, probably not yet. I, I would pay good money to see you playing some funk. Let's yeah. just put it that way. We'll, we'll see right. what we can do. <laughs> okay, moving on. We do have an update to Google Classroom. And so, uh, again, a small update that may make your life easier. So if you've ever tried to attach a Google file to an assignment that you didn't actually own, it would tell you you didn't have permission. And so you would have to manually go back to that file and make a copy that was yours. (laughs) This will actually prompt you and ask you if you want to go ahead and make that copy and distribute it to your students. So um, they're taking the work out of that. And so now you can actually attach files that you don't own and it will automatically make the copy for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be really nice. Just an extra step that you don't have to take. And then if you've ever watched the, the Google EDU in 90 series, they've got these, um, Google creates these little short videos, um, that, that are useful for educators. And the one that they published recently kind of caught Casey's eye and my eye because it's about Google keep. Uh, which is a favorite of ours. And so it's about two and a half minutes long and talks about how you can use Google Keep in the classroom, has some good good ideas. Um, and then also, real briefly, if you've ever checked out the Google for, uh, for Education website, it's gotten a little bit of a refresh, a little bit of a facelift. So if you want to go check that out, it's at edu.google.com. And of course, with any of these things, if you want to check out more information or get links, they're available on the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 30. One of the best decisions I ever made was becoming a Google certified trainer. And I don't know how many of you may be thinking that this is a path that you want to take, but I can help you get there. So if you have ever thought about becoming a professional consultant, trainer, maybe you want to do a little bit of of traveling and get to see what education is like in other parts of the U.S. or beyond, maybe you just want to get your foot in the door as a consultant or Maybe you just want to make a little extra cash because let's face it, teachers don't make that much, right? So I have a course that can help you reach your goals. So if you're interested in becoming a Google certified trainer, go to becomeagoogletrainer.com and check out the free resources I have for you. I have three videos there that will walk you through everything that you need to know about the process, the application, and introduce you to my online course, which you can consider your online self-paced boot camp. And it includes everything that you need to know to pass the exam and prepare for the application. Now, there's a catch. I have a special VIP version of this course that is only open for a short amount of time. So it opened on November 10th and it will close on November 27th. So if you're interested in getting the VIP bonuses, which are three additional lessons designed for those who really want to make a career out of becoming a trainer, check this out. You don't want to miss this opportunity. I will give you some free resources along the way and help you learn more about the process altogether. So become a Google trainer.com. 
OK Tribe. So who is ready to participate in the Hour of Code? So if you haven't done this yet, I know a lot of schools have really um, developed some elaborate programs and it's coming in December. It's December 4th through the 10th. If you are new to this idea, we are going to give you a ton of resources today. So so hang tight. But I, I really want us to dig into not only the, the coding applications in the K-12 classroom, but also to think uh, more organically about the importance of computer science and, and coding. And so to do that, I'm going to quote Tim Cook. Uh, <laughs> what? Can we do that? <laughs> Tim Cook, of course, the what is he, the CEO of Apple at this point? Yes. So um, that's OK. I don't think anybody from Google actually listens to our podcast. No, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> and we're allowed to. It's our podcast, you know. It's so. our podcast. But this is a great quote. So he says, coding is the best foreign language that a student in any country can learn. And that's a pretty powerful statement. And, um, you know, hey, Matt, as a language teacher, are you okay with that? <laughs> yeah, I, we were just talking off air about this, about how I know there are probably some foreign language teachers that would disagree with this. But I think with the the power and the potential of coding, and it really is very much in, in many ways a language. And, you know, it's it operates off of its own lingo and it's got its own hierarchy and, you know, syntax and all of that. And so... Yeah, I think that the the potential for this, there's potential in any language, but I think with this, this is something that can't be ignored. That's right. We we can no longer just sit by and accept it as some sort of elective or specialty course that only certain people or certain students um, are interested in and, and dig into that. It's, it's very powerful. And in fact, it is being accepted as a language credit, I know, in a lot of different school systems now. So, um, so let's dig in. We've got not only the hour of code, but fully sometimes also referred to as computer science ed week. And so... Um, um, I've I've listed a lot of resources in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 30, including the direct link to the Hour of Code, CS Ed Week, and CS First. So if you have not heard of CS First, this is actually a computer science curriculum from Google that is free. And um, they have a special set of Hour of Code tutorials that are super awesome. Um, I think the first one I watched was about how to to code a, a doodle for Google, right? Nice. And that's cool. so that sounds like so much fun. Uh, so it's really important though, um, CS First is targeted to uh, grades four through eight. So ages nine through 14 is sort of the target audience, but um, I'm sure it can extend probably a little beyond that as well. Um, but it is a completely free curriculum with resources for teachers, students, videos, um, it is the block-based coding uh, using Scratch, so so it, it works very much like the other resources that you'll find on the Hour of Code and those other places as well. But um, just sort of stumbled upon this in the Google for Education newsletter, and I thought it was a, a fabulous resource in that they had yeah. created this special page just for the Hour of Code. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, this is this is awesome. I mean, it's kind of like a a plug and play. Like you know, you can grab this curriculum and use it for free. And so, CS First is like Casey said, that's the the free online curriculum that's available for grades four through eight. And the Hour of Code, I was just seeing on the website, the Hour of Code is this kind of like global movement that is going on. This is the one we mentioned that's that's happening in December, and it says no experience needed, ages four to one hundred and four, and 
and there are you know tens of thousands of events registered for the hour code in in 2017. And so, if you're interested in incorporating coding into your classroom, it doesn't mean that you have to be like a technology teacher or a computer science teacher or anything like that, that there, there are some ways, I think if we can be kind of creative in our approach and if we know our standards well, there are some ways that we can bring coding into just about any kind of classroom. So I was doing a little bit of brainstorming earlier and me being a world language teacher, I thought um, using coding was a it was a natural fit because a lot of coding, like I said earlier, is a lot like a language. So what I've done in the past in my own classroom is I've been willing to do some of the activities from the Hour of Code website and then make parallels to how is this like learning a, a world language, which is which is part of my standards. So it seemed like a natural fit there. I think if you do math and science, there are natural connections that you can make to coding. And I think even in social studies and English, because writing is such a you know such an important part and is at the heart of social studies in English. You know a lot of the logic and the order that you use in writing. There are some parallels you can make to that with writing code too. And of course, if you if you teach in the elementary level, I think there are there are pretty easy ways to make connections to all of the different you know sort of all inclusive standards for all the different subjects. So. My hope is is that um, teachers won't look at this and say, oh, I'm not a computer science teacher. This isn't for me. I really think if we want to see this movement take off and show kids the potential of it in their lives, that there are ways that we can make it fit in our curriculum if we think that it's important. And that's, that is exactly what we want to convey to teachers. So if you have teachers that are afraid, they don't have to know how to teach coding. That's exactly. what all of these yeah. systems are. You're not, you're not teaching it. The kids are, are, are being taught inside the programs. Now, obviously, um, the teacher can sit down and learn side by side, which I have witnessed. And it's amazing um, to see the teachers learning to code side by side with their students. But I think another piece is not just tying it into the subject areas, but coding is is not only going to help us fill the gap in this this country that we have in the programming industry um, I don't know if everybody's aware uh, that big companies like Google oftentimes have to hire people from outside the US because we just don't produce enough high quality um, programmers in this right. country it's just not something they're interested in uh, so we want to build that interest at a younger age. And the other thing is tying this into those 21st century skills, because if they're doing this one, they could be doing this collaboratively. They can be solving problems within whatever um, these these things that they're coding, they're troubleshooting, they're learning communication skills. Um, there's so much that's embedded inside of it that's not just the code itself. It's not just learning that it goes far beyond that. So I think if we look beyond, we'll we'll see a lot of applications for this that mean it's it's just another an expression inside the classroom. It's a different way to communicate and to create. And we're all the time looking for ways to use G Suite tools to do that. And so coding can allow us to do that. I also wanted to mention, of course, since we're making some Google connections, the idea of scripting in G Suite. So I, I know there are some coders out there who love the scripting and totally geek out. 
I want to ask if you're sharing that with your students, um, at least with the students who may be old enough to learn it. And because we are now getting the ability to, to add add-ons and scripts inside so many applications that um, I feel like that's a great opportunity for students to learn a, a little bit of coding there, probably in secondary, where they could develop some of these things. So if a kid has an idea in the classroom, hey, why can't we do this in Google Slides? Let's code it. Let's figure it out, right? Yeah, so we can yeah. create this. So I think that's that's another great connection. And I, there's one other program that Google has that has to do with code that I'm very passionate about, and it's called Made with Code. And so I share this one pretty frequently in my presentations, but Made with Code is designed to close the gender gap in the programming industry. And it's a phenomenal program to get girls and young women interested in coding. And they have some really neat projects and mentors and uh, free resources on their website that um, the idea behind that is to get girls to code the things that they love, the things that um, a lot of girls may be interested in and things like that. So um, super fun. And, you know, I think we could have made this like three or four episodes. There's just so much out there. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And so if if this whole hour of code thing is something that you're interested in, if you're wanting to jump in and try it in December or, you know, really the resources are available anytime, you can do this anytime. Um, they, if, if you have a couple of uh, questions about it, you know, I think some some popular concerns might be, what if my internet can't keep up? Um, you know, if that's, if that's an issue, then there are all of these great tutorial videos. And so you can just play them on your projector if you've got one at, at the front of the class. So kids don't have to actually, you know, they don't have to actually play them on their own devices. And then another issue is what if you just don't have internet available for all of the kids? What if you're not one-to-one? There are unplugged and offline tutorials that you can do too. So so you don't even have to have the devices. And then if you don't have enough devices, then you can always partner kids up. So if you have, you know, if you're a BYOD, bring your own device type of school, and you've got enough devices for it to be one-to-two or even one-to-three, there are benefits to that too, because when kids partner up, then they help each other. They're less reliant on you, the teacher. So now they're working together, which is a great thing in and of itself. And then another another good thing is if your kids are going to be watching some of these tutorial videos and doing some of these activities on their own devices, it would be a good idea to suggest that they bring headphones to class if they've got them. Um, now, of course, they could always turn the volume down some, and there's ways to manage that, but having your own set of headphones may, really, really makes it nice. So I know Casey and I really believe that, you know, learning how to code, kind of like what she said with this made with code thing, especially for young women, but really for anybody, it's just such such an important skill and one that can really open huge, huge doors for kids in their future. Google Teacher Tribe Podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. As always, we've got some good feedback and questions from the tribe. And here's the first one. This one comes from Kim Monroe. She's a technology teacher in New Jersey. And she says, is there a way to search for pre-created G Suite activities? 
For example, I have saved templates from people that I follow, like Casey and Matt and Alice Keeler. But can I search Google and find other slides and sheets templates? Casey, what do you say? Well, I think it kind of depends what you mean by the word templates, first of all. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're looking for things, um, just activities, or if you're looking for lesson plans. So that's sort of two sides of it, you know, whether you're talking about something for students or if you're looking just for ideas for lessons. But I'm thinking you're looking for the things to use with students. So um, if, if we're incorrect, please let us know. But one of the the first things that popped into my head was um, HyperDocs. And I think that that movement has really grown so much. And, and they have a fantastic folder on Google Drive where people are sharing inside um, this collaborative folder. So you can search that folder. Um, you can also go to HyperDocs.co to their website, and they also have a, a sort of searchable database there. So HyperDocs are, are sort of a unique anomaly there. I wish I could say there was some awesome Google-centric place that we could go to find um lesson plans and templates that we could use. And, and if there's something out there that we don't know about, because Matt, do you know of anything that's really just robust? No, not not really. I mean, no, I, I think that the, the HyperDocs website and some of that stuff is is the best that I've seen, but no, nothing in particular, nothing central. Right. Well, and you and I and, and Alice Keeler, of course, who was mentioned in her, her question, we all share lots of different things on our site. And so, um, hey, Matt, I'm just thinking on the fly, but we could make a shared Google Tribe folder. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, well, we could start this right now, Kim, yeah. if you want to. Um, I don't know who's with us. If you're listening and you're part of the tribe and you want to start sharing, um, I'm not really sure how that would get organized or anything, but just sort of thinking mm -hmm. out loud here, it mm -hmm. needs to happen. And um, we would, we would love to help make that happen. So I, I wish there was already a site that a Google for education kind of site that offered this, but I'm not aware of one. Mm -hmm. um, of course, uh, Matt also uh, in our conversation beforehand was talking about, be sure that uh, you know about the hashtags. And so of course, G suite edu, GT tribe, Google EDU, EdTech team shares a lot under their hashtag. So um, so Twitter is a great place to find things. I will also tell you that um, I find tons of resources on Pinterest. I am a Pinterest oh, yeah. junkie and I have some huge Pinterest boards. So um, I will also link to those in the show notes for you, Kim, and for anyone else who is interested. But um, yeah, we we got to come together and and find a way to, to save people some time because I feel like a lot of teachers are in the same boat. We're all spending so much time trying to find resources um, that, you know, that we can use and modify for our classrooms and, and we should be helping each other do that. So uh, I'm going to think about this and see if I can figure out a good way to do it. Sounds good. Yeah. Our next question comes from Shannon Berger, who is a library media specialist in Missouri, and it's connected back to something that we shared in a previous episode about Bitmojis and modifying those. So, so Shannon says, I love Bitmoji and was really excited about customizing my Bitmoji, as explained by Mandy Tolan in her blog post. But then the librarian in me reared its head. Before I share this with the teachers at my school, are we violating copyright by modifying the Bitmoji image? Ooh. Yeah. 
So, so Matt, I think you did some research on this. So what did you find? Yeah. So I, I read through the Bitmoji terms of use. I've got a link to that in our show notes and it's not totally, totally clear to me. Now, of course, I am not a lawyer and legal things are not my specialty. So I saw a couple of things where it could be speaking to this kind of thing. So I kind of made a case for both sides of this. So here's the case for we're not violating copyright by modifying our Bitmojis. Um, so in the terms of use, it says that they grant you a, a personal worldwide royalty-free, non-assignable, non-exclusive, revo- revocable, and non-sub-licensable license to access and use our services. So the words that I saw in there were royalty free. And I know whenever you work with royalty free photography, um, that basically says, of course, according to the license that you're, you're able to, you know, basically use that as you, as you see fit. So to me, and again, remember, I'm not the, the best on all of these, but that to me, that makes a pretty strong case for, you know, you're, able to use it as necessary. Uh, They don't spell out that the images are public domain or any specific Creative Commons license or anything. Um, However, I kept going and I saw one part that that made me wonder. And so here's, here's the best case I can make for maybe we shouldn't do this, but I don't think this is exactly what it's talking about. And it says that we must respect Snap Inc.'s rights. Snap Inc. is the company that owns Bitmoji. And it says these terms do not grant you the right to use branding, logos, designs, photographs, videos, etc. When I first saw that, I thought, oh, that means you can't use branding on your um, Bitmojis. You can't use designs on your Bitmojis. But what I think that means is that I think it's talking about Snap Inc.'s branding and their logos and their designs. So I I would say that this isn't even a case for, oh, you better not do that on your Bitmoji. So after my non-legal expertise review of the Bitmoji terms of use, I think that we're good. Now, if anybody has a better interpretation of it, please, please, please get in contact with us and we'll, uh, we'll share what we find out. So before I get to that point in the episode where I start making up new words, <laughs> I want to share <laughs> one last thing from from the blogosphere. Um, this one is is on my blog uh, just just this past week, and it is on interactive learning menus with G Suite, and it's an update to a really old post that I've been meaning to update for for a long time, but um, it still had a lot of life left in it, and I, I present a lot on using learning menus to build in student choice in the classroom. In fact, that's one of my favorite little strategies to give students choice. And that was my first way to really learn anything about differentiation as a teacher. And so I've created um, the post and some templates and shared some awesome templates from some of my Texas friends. I've got Tommy Spall has a great Google Slides template in there. And Amber Tiemann has a cool PD bingo menu that I also share in there. So you can get copies of those and and learn how you can can use these menus in your classroom. Very good. So the the blog that I wanted to share with you uh, actually comes from someone in the tribe. So I uh, I got a message from Ben Whitaker. Ben is from England. He reached out to me and said that he had written this post called Ditch That Marking. And I thought, oh, that's kind of like ditch that textbook and ditch that homework. And so 
he was talking about how uh, grading has basically kind of like consumed his life at one point and he wanted to find a better way to do it. Um, marking, obviously, is the word they use in the UK for grading, I believe. And so he suggested a bunch of ways, many of which use um, G Suite to improve the grading process. So he has some really good examples in there. There's some voice typing ideas, some screencasting ideas, and some other ones. So definitely go check that one out. And of course, these are all available at the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 30. Right, Tribe, that wraps up another episode. And if you are not excited about coding, then I think you should go listen to this episode again. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we had lots and lots of great resources there. Um, I know Casey and I believe that this is such an important uh, skill for kids to be exposed to. So hopefully you're willing to check out the Hour of Code and maybe even the CS First curriculum. So lots of good stuff there. And we hope that you will join us on another episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. I think so. I, we're going to let you come down from your mountain view high. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not the Colorado kind, but the the mountain view <laughs> California kind. Totally different and, things, yes. Uh, so it, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> That's the kind of dumb stuff that happens when I try to make things up on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. I killed a squirrel today. I killed yes. a squirrel. It's okay. It's it made okay, a really Casey. loud thud. I did not like it. <laughs> I don't think the squirrel heard the thud, though, so you're okay. <laughs> I really felt bad. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Squirrels die. Oh, it happens. Lord. Wow, this has been such a uh, really informative. No, that's not it. That's not what I was. Wow, we have done such a great job. <laughs> There's been so many words. <laughs> We've said so much. We've got the uh, most words. Uh. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.